This is The Guardian. It was Boris Johnson's last Prime Minister's questions this week, and he went out in his usual style. Hasta la vista, baby. Thank you. As we say goodbye to Johnsonism, whatever that was, we've now got to focus on Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss, the last two contenders to replace him. And amid the frenzy over the Tory leadership, the country is literally in flames. The London Fire Brigade has just declared a major incident in response to a huge surge in fires across the capital today. This is critical. While neither candidate to be Prime Minister is really voicing any convincing climate policy. Yes, I'm John Harris and you're listening to Politics Weekly UK for The Guardian. Because this week uh, is really all about the Conservative Party, uh, I'm joined by someone with a lot of direct experience of Conservative politics and another person who reports brilliantly um, about Conservative politics. Um, Firstly, David Gork, the former Conservative Cabinet Minister and MP, and then secondly, Katie Balls, the Deputy Political Editor of The Spectator and reasonably regular Guardian columnist. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. Um, Hi. Right. Let's talk about... Apart from the Tory leadership, there's been another sort of key political event this week, which is the sheer heat that we all experienced on Monday and Tuesday. I think some of us are continuing to experience images of burning houses and roadside verges. This sense that this might be a tipping point. I wonder, I feel like this, do you now have sympathy or more sympathy with the people who regularly crash land in the news media who are taking direct action about climate change, the climate emergency, Extinction Rebellion and Insulate Britain and those people? I think I probably have more sympathy in theory, but if we get to an actual day where it's happening and I can't get around, then I, I probably won't actually carry through. Um, I think what this week has really taught me is my love of fans um, has never been higher. Okay, but do you feel, either of you, that something has happened this week whereby this has moved right to the centre of the political consciousness as far as a lot of the public are concerned? And Westminster seems to be lagging behind more than ever. Just the sheer experience of those two days and that big temperature jump. I I was struck in the 2019 general election how often people came up to me when I was campaigning and raised the issue of climate change in a way that simply didn't happen in any previous general election. Uh, There were particular factors, I suppose, involved in terms of the voters' Uh, that were considering voting for me in 2019 when I was running as an independent compared to the voters who were considering voting for me when I was running as a Conservative in previous general elections. So that's part of it. But I, I, I genuinely think there, there, was, there was a shift. I, I think the events of this week will further move that along. Uh, but I don't, uh, I, I don't think it's, it's turn a, turning a corner. It is, it is just accelerating what was already happening. OK, so for the time being, I will be sitting on the road on my own, it sounds like. But you never know. I'll ask you that. Well, at least not with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll be saying, get this troublemaker out. Get these troublemakers out of the way. I have work to do. Anyway, yeah. talking of which... You, you can sit on the melting tarmac, John. <laughs> I will. I will. I will I, I will do that, perhaps. I'll be supporting perhaps. you from a distance. So, In the first part of today's podcast, we are going to talk about what we now know to be the Sunak versus Trust contest, what might be at stake, what happens next, and whether the next Prime Minister ought to be chosen like this. And in the second part, we'll go on to uh, whether the Conservative Party might be losing its footing. 
in its traditional base of the middle class, the related question of how it should approach the climate emergency, which we've just spoken about, and whether the party can or should change. Let's start with the final two in this leadership contest, which is now going to grind on through what remains of the summer. We now know who we're dealing with, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak. Let's hear Graham Brady, the blessed Graham Brady, announcing the result of the MP's vote. The numbers of votes cast for each candidate is as follows. Uh, Mordant, 105. Sunak, 137. Truss, 113. Therefore, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss will be the candidates going forward to a final ballot of Conservative Party members. There we are. They're the two contenders. Um, Katie, first of all, just, just tell me your reaction to that, your sense of what that really means for this contest. I think in a way it was the most likely result. And actually, if you would ask people ahead of the contest beginning, who are the most likely to be the final two? I think Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss came up a lot in conversations. Um, but there were points once the contest started where you had the rise of Penny Morden, Kemi Badenoch, where you did wonder if there'd be a bit of an upset and it wouldn't be those two figures making it. So after some ups and downs in this kind of breakneck speed leadership contest, I think we're back to where we probably would have expected to be about a month ago so uh, let me ask you this as a reporter then are you a bit disappointed because it could have been more entertaining well, I think this is going to be incredibly vicious. So if, if you find uh, a vicious contest entertaining, um, I won't speak for myself there, then I think there'll be enough for um, journalists and those watching on. Um, I think that had you thrown in someone like Kemi Badenoch, and there are questions as to whether someone who never served in cabinet could have stepped up to the role of prime minister, given all the challenges. But had you thrown them in, I think it'd be incredibly unpredictable what would now happen. David, a, vi- a, a vicious contest Katie says um, I wonder under the viciousness what do you think is at stake here in terms not so much who is in charge but what kind of politics is at the top of the Conservative Party and what direction the Conservative Party now take well I think if you look at how Liz Truss has got into the top two she she's done it by being the candidate of the right um, she got the ERG largely on side they've been a bit reluctant um, the right as a whole to support her but in the end they've lined up behind her there are lots of rumors that she's going to make David Frost foreign secretary if she wins uh, she is clearly going to be pretty hard line on for example the Northern Ireland protocol uh, and uh, she's a sort of Reaganite tax cutter not a Thatcherite oh now hold on pause cutter. pause she pause will... can you explain what that means yeah well, tell me what that means Right. Well, I will. I will do that. So, um, Margaret Thatcher portrayed as a great tax cutter, but in fact, her record in office was that she uh, only cut taxes when the public finances were strong enough to do so, and a lot of the time, in fact, she put taxes up. Uh, and even when she was cutting some taxes, she was often compensated with with higher taxes elsewhere. Um, so she's essentially a fiscal conservative. Uh, Ronald Reagan uh, in the US at the same time essentially said cut taxes, it'll pay for itself Um, partly it's the US system and and the split between uh, the President and Congress and who controls spending but largely it was uh, cut taxes and and, all the problems will solve themselves and Liz is much more Reaganite in that sense she says cut taxes and we'll be fine Um, we've dealt with that 
one of the sort of axes of debate in this contest so far has been about sort of social liberalism versus social conservatism, broadly broadly defined. Now, from the outside, I suppose, although I haven't heard much from Liz Truss on some of the some of the so-called cultural things Kemi Badenoch was very keen on talking about, but I suppose I would think of Rishi Sunak as being the social liberal candidate and Truss as being slightly more socially conservative, but I don't know whether that's right, is it? I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, so, give you an example, I don't think we've heard anything of this and I don't expect we'll hear very much of this, but Liz... Um, for example, wanted to reduce the prison population. She has refreshingly sensible views on all of that. When she was Chief Secretary to the Treasury and I was Justice Secretary, and she had previously been uh, Justice Secretary, she was very supportive of my attempts to try to reduce the prison population by ending short sentences, for example. So she is not a sort of down-the-line, hang-em-flog-em type. She's essentially pretty libertarian. And I think to some extent, Rishi is as 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 well. Briefly, Katie, what's the choice here? One is tax cuts later, not tax cuts now. And Liz Truss, it's fair to say, is more of a hardcore Brexiteer than Sunak is. Is that the sort of essential distinction? Yes, though we're in quite a topsy-turvy state in this leadership <laughs> contest. Really are. We really because are, of, yes. effectively, I think that some of the tags we've been using, and I've been using them too, because you're trying to explain lots of actually quite different policy positions, um, you can say evolutions uh, of people's opinions, uh, you know, with a few words. And therefore you have a situation where we're effectively saying the candidate of the right is the person who voted to remain and used to be a Liberal Democrat. And we're saying Rishi Sunak is soft and is ultimately a wet, even though he effectively did back Brexit from early on. It's quite hard to put these candidates in boxes. And I recently interviewed Liz Truss, um, but I spoke to some of her former cabinet colleagues ahead of that and said, you know, how do you define her politics? And a, a former cabinet minister said to me, who'd worked for her, you know, she is ultimately uh, a liberal, not a Tory. And therefore, I, I, I don't think Liz Truss is uh, that socially conservative. I think she's patriotic. So I think on some of these, and I say in inverted commons, woke issues, you know, if we're going to get to talking about statues and so forth, she's going to be in, in a certain place. Um, but on, on other issues, I think think she is quite socially liberal let's talk about um this great sort of step change in the contest now because we're now in the hands of the conservative membership clearly um it has been a fairly short time since the conservative party won the general election in december 2019 when boris johnson was the leader he somewhat speciously in my opinion anyway has claimed um, a whacking great mandate in that contest um and none of the candidates have seemed very keen to call another general election ahead of 2023 so we're now looking at the prospect of a, of a prime minister essentially put in place by 300-odd Conservative MPs and around 160,000 party members. Now, we all know how a parliamentary system works on paper and all the rest of it, but there is something, nonetheless, that's a bit weird about watching this great hoopla, knowing that, that there are a few political issues or stories that could be more important for the country, and yet 99.99999% of us don't have a say. David, do you feel that yourself? I think it's a bad system. Uh, it is a parliamentary system, and, and you know, at one level, you could say anybody who votes Conservative knows that the next leader will be chosen in the system by the system that exists. But my criticisms of uh, allowing the membership to decide are, uh, firstly, that the members are not terribly well placed to make that judgment. They don't know the candidates anything like as well as the MPs do. So MPs 
re you know, really are qualified uh, to to do this in a way that members aren't. Uh, my second complaint is that the process takes too long. I mean, I think the MPs sec se section has, has been very rushed um, as as it happens, and that's partly because of the timing and the summer recess. Um, but the idea that, that you know that we have eight weeks between a prime minister resigning and someone else being put in place as a matter of course seems to me pretty perilous i don't think it's a kind of robust system in this particular case uh, I, I personally think that boris johnson should be out the door straight away for the reasons why he's he's been kicked out um but but even so i don't think it's helpful for the country to have a two-month pause and that's inevitable if you put this out to the membership okay Katie, tell me who these people are. I go to a Conservative Party conference and I see what I would imagine is quite an unrepresentative slice of a fairly unrepresentative membership. So it's sort of unrepresentative twice over. They're the people for whom the conference darling usually is Jacob Rees-Mogg. They, they thought the sun shone out of Boris Johnson's rear end. I mean, they, they didn't strike me as being terribly representative of the electorate at large. The same can be said of the Labour membership, obviously. But who are they? Because actually... In total, the 160,000 who are going to have a vote, it seems to me, aren't quite the hardcore, very ideologically driven people they're sometimes cracked up to be, right? There is a pragmatic streak through the Conservative membership, which is perhaps overlooked. Yeah, of course. And I think, effectively, the people you're going to see queuing outside Jacob Rees-Mogg's keynote speak, speech at Tory party conference go. Always you know go. you're welcome to show your card now John um for the people doing that are um you know they're not representative of the membership there's always going to be uh, you know extreme versions of it and the ones most likely to surface or even go on television really um you know write pieces tend to be the ones who who want the attention and and not actually speak for the whole block uh, you know there are a chunk of members right now who don't think Boris Johnson should have gone who are actually quite upset that he has been forced out by MPs and I don't think that should be underestimated estimated but we know that the majority of the membership if you look at all the polling we've had we're growing increasingly exasperated with the direction of this government and the fact that Boris Johnson couldn't get a grip the fact he has scandal after scandal so I, I think that you can describe uh, you know the Tory membership I think they are ultimately pragmatic but there's also lots of ideology ideology in there and it means that if you're looking at who's been popular on those is often part of the reason Liz Truss has been such a favourite of the grassroots is because she is the person who tours the think tanks not just at party conference but throughout the year particularly before becoming foreign secretary which makes it harder for multiple reasons and um, being away and also the fact you need to be diplomatic um, but she is the person who's you know talking about where her ideas come from and actually you know low taxation all, all those things which plays well to the base. Um, so there is a level of we, we know what they will want in terms of certain things. But these are also, I think, pragmatic and responsible people and actually probably a lot more mild mannered than some of the caricature versions um, that you sometimes read about. Which then underlines that fact that it's that it's perhaps more open than people think. It's not a slam dunk for the candidate of the right precisely because of that pragmatic streak. If you look to um, polling in response to the debates, Liz Trust, I think, Liz Trust, I think, finished last when people were asked who won the last debate or the one before that. So it's perfectly conceivable that that, that, that might occur. That, that is absolutely possible. As I say, I think, I think she's got enough in the tank to, to win this. But the reason why the gap probably will close is because some of those polls, and that will influence some of the voters because you know, the Conservative Party also does have quite a strong will to win. Um, so there is this tension, I think, between 
the the sort of ideological comfort zone versus a, a will to win, and and that will play out, I think, over the course of the next few weeks. Yeah, and and I think on on what you're going to be seeing from Rishi Sunak is effectively Rishi Sunak is in a race against time because one thing we do know, know about conservative voters and particularly conservative members they're very good at postal votes and they're very efficient and these slips go out early august so even though you in theory have a long contest um i think the window by which rishi sunak needs to change the mind of members in terms of backing him over liz truss is actually pretty short you're looking for the rest of july and therefore the race is on and rishi sunak will be trying to do as much media as possible but also force liz truss to do as much media as possible because that's how they think they're going to get one over that and uh, general uh, uh, population polling. Um, I'm learning lots of things I didn't know. Uh, we will pause here for a minute and next we will talk about something on which I definitely have got a few forthright opinions. Uh, we'll talk about how the Conservative Party perhaps needs to change and why its lack, arguably, of a convincing policy on climate shows us how much work it still has to do. Welcome back. Thank you for still being here. We are now going to talk about the sort of long-term direction of the Conservative Party and what um, this leadership contest has said about the appetite for thinking about how the Conservative Party may have to change or the lack of it, and also how that's going to play out now there are only two candidates left. Um, one of the things, the key thing really, I suppose, as someone who has no dog in the fight, so to speak, I, I don't identify with the Conservative Party, so I sort of observe it as a very interested outside party, really. And I haven't seen in this leadership race a, a true candidate for sort of real change. You do tend to get those at points when parties hit bumps in the road. Perhaps the fact the Conservative Party is still in government is one of the reasons why there hasn't been a candidate of change. I suppose the closest we've got is Tom Tugendhat, the self-styled fresh start candidate, but he was only really hinting at fundamental ways in which he thought the Conservative Party and conservatism ought to change. Um, it, most of what he said was about Boris Johnson's leadership style. He was still backing very, very sort of vivid signature policies like sending refugees to Rwanda. His criticisms were very veiled. And I suppose the same thing applied to Penny Morden. Penny Morden seemed to was a sort of ongoing masterclass in how to use as many words to say as little as possible, <laughs> as far as I could tell. Um, and I, so I, while we mention her as well, we should ask, what happened to her? A week ago, she was the great media candidate, Shades of Cameron in 2005. Her odds suddenly shortened, and then I looked round yesterday and she was at sort of four to one, and that seemed to be the end of her, and so it's proved. Yeah, I mean, I think it just reflected the general lack of enthusiasm or excitement towards any candidate in this leadership contest to the point where people were just projecting onto Penny Morden, I think, what they wanted a candidate to have. I thought, I don't like Rishi Sunak, I don't like Liz Truss... I know less about Penny Morden, so perhaps she's she's the real deal. So I think there are two problems for her. One, 
did she mislead um, in her comments about what she did in terms of trans rights during her time in government, which she was accused of by her rivals. But I actually think the bigger issue was the fact that when you asked her what she planned to do, she said, now is not the time to make those decisions in this contest. Um, and she was like, well, we know the least about you. <laughs> um, so, so when is the time? Is it when we've given you the keys to number 10? Yeah. And, and I think that really um, yeah. did cause her issues um, when it comes to bringing more supporters, particularly when there seemed to be a little bit yeah. of shadiness in terms of what we what we knew about uh, her previous record. I want to talk about this. I mean, it's a sort of pet theory of mine that I occasionally write about. I am a sort of avid student of conservative politics and conservatism and where it's been and where it's going. I find absolutely fascinating. Now, sort of what were we talking about? 17 years ago or so, when David Cameron became the leader of the Conservative Party, he was very focused, at least initially, on the sense, and arguably it only turned out to be a sort of flimsy sense, that he wanted to push the Conservative Party somewhere else towards a more sort of socially liberal kind of politics, away from what Theresa May a couple of years before had called the perception that the Conservative Party was the nasty party. I mean, she again sort of blazed a trail for what some people call modernisation. And there was a reason for that, that the Conservative Party had lost its footing in big, big British cities in an age in which 50% of people go to university and very often emerge sort of with socially liberal views uh, and, and opinions about things, that there was there was some sort of burgeoning disconnect between the Conservative Party and who it traditionally has relied on for its support. Now, I think that's still there. Um, and I wonder, did both of you sort of feel the lack, notwithstanding the fact the Tory party's in government, the lack of a, of a change candidate saying, look, we've got to do things differently here. We're losing support that we really, really need. I mean, apart from anything else, they've just lost three by-elections in hitherto safe seats by whacking great margins. You don't have to look very far for proof of this theory. I think one of the reasons perhaps there hasn't been a change candidate is I'm just not sure there is the consensus amongst the majority of Tory MPs. I think if you look at the 2019 election, broadly speaking, quite a lot of the current Tory MPs think that was the right message and therefore, if you speak to lots of Tory MPs, they think there are two there are two main problems right now. One of which was Boris Johnson and his character. And if you talk about those by election defeats, particularly those in Lib Dem Tory seats, um, they think that was a specific Boris Johnson problem. And therefore, you get rid of the leader, you get someone who's uh, you know not as politically toxic, and you fixed half the problem. And secondly, cost of living. And you look at incumbent governments across the world, um, no one is doing particularly well. And it's just something you have to get through and get to the other end of. Now, we can argue whether that is the right diagnosis. But I think that is why, along with the idea, do you want to really argue for another election? Because if you're going to completely change the mandate, that's that's what you're getting to, really. Um, I think that's why we haven't had that. OK, nonetheless, David, something is going on which goes deeper Tunbridge Wells Council is no longer a Conservative council. In St Albans for, in Hertfordshire, the absolute epitome of the, of the old Conservative commuter belt. Do you know how many Tories are, are on St Albans Council? There are four. There are four. And there are 50 Liberal Democrats. West Oxfordshire, that's the Cotswolds we're talking about, is now run by a coalition of Labour, the Lib Dems and the Green Party. In Graham Brady's backyard in South Manchester... As you well know, Trafford Council was one of the jewels in the Tory crown. It was the one Tory council in Greater Manchester. It's now run by the Labour Party. And Altrincham, the central town in Graham Brady's constituency, now has three Green Party councillors. It seems that Dominic Raab in Isher and Walton in Surrey has got the Lib Dems breathing down his neck. 
And that maybe is because the 2019 moment in which conservatism was defined by Brexit and the support of older voters was fleeting. And the bigger demographic shifts underneath it all are pushing the middle class over time away from the Tory party. And someone needs to take that seriously if they want the Conservative Party to be the natural party of government in 15, 20 years time or 10, maybe as soon as that. I completely agree with that, John. Good. Um, and, and, and it's the sort of point I have been making. But just one point on why is there no change candidate? I think this supports what Katie has been saying. You know, Blair came along as the modernisation candidate after Labour had lost four general elections. David Cameron came along after the Tories had lost three general elections. Um, the Conservatives won the last general election with an 80-seat majority. And, you know, to some extent, all the examples that you have set out in terms of the Conservatives going backwards in places where they were once very strong, it is the flip side of a realignment in our politics, okay. um, which, is, which has brought, you know, to come back to the sort of cliche, which has delivered the Conservatives the red wall. But, but you know, at a time when our population is becoming better educated, uh, when our population is by and large becoming more socially liberal, when our population is 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 growing in places like Oxfordshire and Cambridgeshire, and the home counties, um, but falling in other places, it strikes me that the trajectory the Conservative Party is in is going is going into a cul-de-sac, and it's going to really suffer from that. But just at the moment, yeah, okay. The Conservatives lost St Albans at the last general election, but for every one St Albans, you know, there was there was there was a, a, a dozen red wall seats. Um, but there comes a point where the, the the blue wall actually becomes much more consequential, and and that is something I think the Conservative Party should worry about. Okay, Katie. In brief, which of the two leading candidates who do you think I don't know whether you know this is more mindful of what David and I have just said? I, I would imagine perhaps Liz Truss to, in the sense that when it comes to the new coalition, I think that she is, I think that she thinks her brand is more to that, whereas you have some say Rishi Sunak wants to take you back uh, more to Cameron Osborne. Now, his team will say, no, 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 we're looking forward refresh, but I, I think there is just a, a sense of that around him. So perhaps Liz Truss is the more radical change candidate for that reason. John, can I just add, uh, um, just to say, the first person I can remember talking to me about um, the realignment of British politics, more or less along the lines that you were talking about, um, was Liz Truss. She, she, uh, she, she has been talking about this for a long time. You know, I can remember her saying, you know what, the Conservatives are going to go backwards in cities, but we're going we're gonna to take seats like Bishop Auckland and so on. And this was you know, long, be- long before the 2019 general election. But pause that. Does that. Is that to say that, broadly speaking, she seemed all right about gaining Bishop Auckland and losing the old Tory suburbs, or that it worried her somewhat? Uh, it was expressed, I think, more as an opportunity than 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 a, than a risk. But 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 I think, to be fair, it was essentially analysis. You know, it was her analysis is this is what is happening, um, and you know there are pluses and minuses, but this is what is happening. I think the the uh, the Tory MP Anne Milton for Guildford in Surrey heard Boris Johnson say "fuck Guildford." Was that your? No, it was that um, your understanding. Not not quite not that, that John. Not not. not uh, what did he, say? he said, "If we lose Guildford, we lose Guildford." I was in the meeting at the time. So this was the day of the uh, vote on the Hillary Benn bill stopping a No Deal Brexit. And a large number of us went in there to talk to Boris Johnson, went sat round the cabinet table. He tried to persuade us not to vote against the government. 
Uh, and uh, in the course of the uh, discussion, Anne Milton, the MP for Guildford, said, "Yeah, you go down this no deal Brexit stuff, and we will, yeah, we will lose Guildford." To which Boris Johnson's response: "Well, if we lose Guildford, we lose Guildford." And and what could be more important than Guildford? Maybe the Red Wall. <laughs> I think he, Bishop Auckland's Bishop, still contract. Bishop, yeah, exactly. Yes, we know, yeah. Exactly. I think he would have said yeah, getting yeah. Brexit done. But uh, but yeah, that was the the nature of the conversation. But that I think was in essence the realignment argument. Argument. At a hustings on Monday night, chaired by Alok Sharma, the chair of of COP26. All five candidates agreed that they would meet the target of net zero emissions by 2050. Just to remind you, net zero means cutting greenhouse gas emissions to as close to zero as possible with any remaining emissions reabsorbed from the atmosphere. Of the two candidates still standing, we know that Rishi Sunak says he would introduce a legal target to make Britain energy self-sufficient by 2045 by overseeing a massive expansion in offshore wind. But he has pledged to keep the ban on building any new onshore wind farm and Liz Truss says she would maintain the UK's 2050 net zero target but wants to reconsider some net zero policies again not terribly impressive do you think the fact that candidates have either minced their words or in the case of Kemi Badenoch affected to move quite away from a sort of thorough convincing message on climate change is a reaction a bit against Boris Johnson's leadership I'm not sure if it's a reaction against Boris Johnson's leadership, but I think it reflects the fact there is scepticism about net zero in the membership and also amongst some Tory MPs. I think it can be overestimated or overdone when we're talking about what the Tory parliamentary party thinks in the sense that you have the, you know, the net zero scrutiny group who are very loud. Boris Johnson, I think potentially is the peak of uh, at least for the next few years when it comes to how committed the party is to environmentalism that's been a it's been a big plank of the, of the Tory party and lots of people say oh he should go further but I think from a conservative perspective um he went further than lots were uh, happy with um and actually it, it, if you keep it where he was that, that's probably the best you're going to get there is a chunk of the conservative party membership that is very sceptical about net, net zero and no candidate wants to be seen as being an outlier in terms of their greenery. Now that's not to say that when it comes down to it that they are going to be um, you know, abandoning net zero, they just don't want to be seen as being the biggest enthusiast in the room. Do you think this will change, though, David? Perhaps it might take defeat and that belated sort of ideological rethink in various ways. Do you think the Conservative Party and the Conservative Party membership, more importantly, reasonably soon might start to shift a bit? I, I'm not sure that it will, actually. I, I, oh, no, God, I mean, just, really just, just me because up. I think... I mean, maybe if they're wiped out in the red wall at the next general election, it becomes less of an issue. But it's quite a lot to give up you know, very significant advances into traditional Labour territory um, because, you know, you're, you're worried that you may be losing Isha and Walton. OK. Nonetheless, I think that's, they're getting hot in Stoke-on-Trent and Middlesbrough and Bishop Auckland too. And I'm, I, 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 from experience, I'm not quite sure I go along with that idea that, that climate scepticism runs rife in traditional Labour seats in a way that it doesn't in traditional middle-class seats, but um, to use that, I think the words of uh, the famous uh, Labour MP Harold Lasky, where there's death, there's hope. But anyway, um, let's just move on to finish to the the key question of all. Who's going to win? Now it's Sunak versus Truss. Katie, first of all, come on. 
I honestly think it's so difficult to predict. And I know you're going to say being a wimp in the sense it's Liz Truss's to lose, but we've seen two debates, one of which Liz Truss came last and the second she came second last. And therefore, I think that the fact they've already agreed to two debates in the next couple of weeks means that Liz Truss um, needs to show she can, you know, stand up under the pressure. Otherwise, I do think there's a road for Rishi Sunak. And even if you look at the past week, he has improved his standing with the membership. Um, I would imagine to see that he'll be catching up with the membership, but does he have time to go all the way? And I think that's the big unknown. Okay, I'm going to chip in now. If you force me into a branch of Ladbrokes right now, I think the clever bet would be Rishi Sunak. Because I don't think, uh, for the reasons Katie's just said, Liz Truss is, is anything approaching a convincing sort of political performer with the requisite clout. And I think perhaps because of that pragmatic streak in the Conservative membership that we talked about, Sunak might edge it. And it's not like he's a candidate, as we've already said, of the sort of bleeding heart, socially liberal, Romani, woke strand of the Conservative Party, if such a thing exists. There's still enough that he's got to appeal to tra- traditional Tory instincts, and that might take him over the line. David, do you agree? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I've been predicting Liz Truss for quite a long time, including at times where her odds were really quite long. And uh, no one did force me into Labrooks, unfortunately. Uh, but I'm not going to sort of change my position uh, now Now that she's odds-on favourite. I, I think the gap will close, but I think Rishi is quite a long way behind, and I think he's going to have to go some to overtake her before all the votes go in. Well, it'd be a great future for headline writers. The National Trust in Lisby Trust, I'm sure you've been through all these. The possibilities are endless. Thank you for joining us, David and Katie. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure you subscribe to Politics Weekly UK wherever you get your podcasts, and even better, leave us a review. I just wanted to highlight two Guardian Live in-person events, one in Manchester and one in London, with Marina Hyde, who was on the podcast last week, to mark the launch of her new book, What Just Happened, where she will reflect on the madness of the past few years and the Tory leadership election, no doubt. If you want to get in the mood for that... Have a listen to what we recorded with the Marina recently. More details of those events will be on our podcast page. And finally, you can listen to Fridays Today in Focus and hear The Guardian's political editor, Heather Stewart, who will be going into depth about the final two candidates in the Tory leadership election. This episode was produced by Frankie Toby. The music was by Axel Kakutier. The executive producers are Maz Ebtahaj and Nicole Jackson. Next week, Raphael Baer will be standing in for me, so you can join him then. This is The Guardian.